radio transmission by me, Donald Dean. Make me an island. Dona Margarida, mulher de Chico Caboclo Me chamou pra cantar coco na seta da Paraíba Ô Maria, ô Maria, arranco o dente do besouro mangangá Ô Maria, ô Maria, arranco o dente do besouro mangangá Essa cachua que canta com um caçanha Quando o cara do outro ganha, quando chega o outro está Pode cantar e comigo você se engana E agora eu tenho minha cama pra cantar e palestrar Ô Maria, ô Maria, arranco in Brazil. That's Kaka and Castanha uh, getting us off to a fiery start here on Make Me an Island number 24. And you're very welcome along to the show. We're going to be leaving the drums behind today and going deep into the heart of the Irish piping and singing tradition in the company of Ian Lynch from Lancome. 
But before we get into all of that, by way of blowing the clouds away with sheer tin whistle power, this is Sean Potts, Paddy Baloney.
Did I say we were going to leave the drums behind? Well, there is the barest of percussion on the album Tin Whistles by Paddy Maloney and Sean Potts. In 1974, they recorded this wonderful record. Now, there's lots of wind instruments on the show today. Whistles, jujukes, laonadas, illin pipes, and even vocal cords. But I guess the tin whistle is the humblest of them all. Uh, but it was no stopping these boys making an absolutely amazing sound. And I'm not a qualified uh, doctor. I'm not even a qualified DJ. And apologize to anybody who's got to episode 24 of this podcast series thinking that I was. But I do recommend that you take a dose of Sean Potts and Paddy Maloney daily. Just wonderful music guaranteed to blow not just the clouds away, but any cobwebs too. That's Paddy Maloney and Sean Potts together. Tin Whistles is the album and Julia Delaney, the tune that you heard. And I must say that I heard that sound first on the show Fire Drawn Ear on Dublin Digital Radio by Ian Lynch. And thankfully, Ian Lynch is on the way to give us his expertise on the piping and singing traditions. But before I get to that, I want to just stick with the wind instruments, but this time travel to Armenia uh, to listen to the sound of Jivan Gasparian. So it's played on uh, an instrument called the Jojuk, and I'm going to read you a little piece uh, about that and about the album The Moon Shines at Night, produced by Michael Brook. The Jojuk, a woodwind instrument indigenous to Armenia, is a small double reed flute carved from aged apricot wood. The rich tonal colour and sweetness of the sound it makes is no coincidence. The ancient Jujuk's mournful, oboe-like sound is due to the width of the reed, which require remarkable breathing techniques by the player. It is most commonly played with another Jujuk, where the soloist plays over the accompanying drone or foundation. This is what gives the sound its uniquely touching sonic atmosphere, 
with the scales changing harmoniously between both instruments. It's a captivating and free-flowing sound. There is an intimacy to it that invites contemplation. In its gentleness, it resides close to silence, and its whispering tones appear not to disturb quietness very much at all. It renders tangible the most elusive of things, a quiet, peaceful dream. breath of the great Jivan Gasparian, the Jujuk, once regarded as a poor person's instrument, has reached high places and western ears. In 1989, Gasparian released an album on his own Opal label called I Will Not Be Sad in This World. A subsequent collaboration with the producer Michael Brook resulted in Moonshines at Night. This is Gasparian's masterpiece. Brook works his magic in the most subtle of ways, manufacturing a warm, acoustical setting in order to bring the sound even closer to the listener. Gasparian's playing is heartfelt and graceful. There's a tenderness in every note, phrase and song. 
On the tune 7th of December 1988, we hear Gasparian's voice for the first time. The gentle softness of his tone masks a deep pain for the 60,000 Armenians that lost their lives when an earthquake struck that fateful day. Darzan, I will. 
Shines at Night by Javan Gasparian, produced by Michael Brook, um, is one I'd highly recommend as uh, an antidote in these troubled times. And uh, Javan is spelled D-J-I-V-A-N-G-A-S-P-A-R-Y-A-N, Javan Gasparian. Uh, now, it's a show that I've been, uh, it's been a long time in the making, in the planning, in fact, uh, but finally Ian Lynch is here in the Make Me an Island studio and I'm going to talk to him after we hear this. Possibly, definitely, the oldest piece of music on the show thus far, recorded by Chief O'Neill in 1900. This is Delaney's. And uh, Ian Lynch is going to tell me a little bit about uh, the man who recorded that. Uh, you're very welcome to the show, Ian. Yeah, thanks very much, John. Thanks, uh, thanks for having us. Um, so yeah, that was a uh, Bernard Delaney uh, playing a tune, sometimes called um, the Beauty Spot, sometimes called Taylor's or Colonel Taylor's. Yeah. And uh, he would have been recorded by uh, Chief O'Neill or Francis O'Neill, who was yeah. Chief of Police in the Chicago Police Force around the turn of the century. He um, Francis O'Neill would have recorded a lot of the musicians, the Irish musicians who were living over there at the time, and people like Patsy Toohey and James Early and people like that. Yeah, and, and it kind of predates uh, recording happening in this country um, yeah. and, uh, for, for kind of strange reasons. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's just amazing that a lot of that stuff still survives. Um, there was a lot of wax cylinders found in an attic in Milwaukee that come from the same era as well uh, yeah. just a few years ago 
yeah. and I think 2007 or something they were put out on a CD mm-hmm. again like Patsy Tui would have um, been kind of well represented there and just yeah just all these like this kind of scene of Irish musicians that was over there at the time was just a really really rich scene and mm-hmm. um, people from all different parts of Ireland playing in their own because like, I suppose back then there would have been much more kind of uh, regional styles yeah. still very like rich and still very much alive and in a place like Chicago or New York at the time you would have had all these people playing their own regional styles in one area so it was just like mm-hmm. really so much music going on um, so yeah at the time when uh, Francis O'Neill he was chief of police it was said that like anybody who could play an instrument was ensured a job on the force Great. Um, but he you know he seems to be a uh, you know, when you read stuff about him, he seems like he was he was pretty fucking sound. Yeah, yeah he, he was um, in charge of the case when the anarchist Emma Goldman, she was arrested. There was something to do with a plot on an assassination attempt on the president at the time. I can't remember which president it was. But um, she was arrested and apparently Francis O'Neill made sure she got a fair treatment and she got off because okay. of that. Yeah. So he sounds like one of the good guys because there's been yeah. many of the Irish police chiefs. I know, yeah, you, you quite know. that good. Yeah, but the, but the music being the thing, I guess uh, that saved him. But he came here, and is that how he 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 sprung into action with the recording in the sense that he he kind of saw that there was no such thing happening here. I'm not sure if it was that because he he, he left home at a very early age. He was from a place called I don't know if you pronounce it like Trolleybon or Trolleybon in Cork. Mm, okay. Um, I think somewhere around West Cork, and he left home at a very early age. He was just one of these people. He had like a real sense of adventure or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he left home and he was like uh, sailing on ships on merchant ships and stuff, and he was like involved in some shipwreck in the Pacific Ocean at one stage, and they got washed up on an island. And like the st- he was like seventy or eighteen at the time, and because I mean he'd, he'd grown up playing music in Cork, mm-hmm. he was able to play tunes on like you know we play- he played flute and I think he also played a bit of fiddle and pipes, but he was washed up on this island and he was able to play tunes for like there was like n- natives like Pacific Islanders living on this place they were washed up and he was able to play tunes on this little conch thing that they had and one of the accounts of the other sailors that were there they were like oh after that they worshipped them as a god and all the other sailors who were like shipwrecked on the island suffered from malnutrition afterwards and had to be hospitalised but he was grand because all the natives were sharing the food with him because he could just like rip out these tunes the on magic. his conch thing like, <laughs> you know what I mean and then he was I think after that he, he, went, he ended up in yeah. San Francisco and then he made his way across the states and he ended up in Chicago and you know he, he was just mad into the music the whole time and yeah. I think you know he must have just became become aware that there was just a really really kind of uh, rich kind of scene there and yeah. yeah he said about recording tunes like noting tunes down first of all and then also like recording what a, what a what a what a hero what a story i mean yeah uh, mad life it, it's uh it's not uh required but you know uh, some guests do save the best stories till the end <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear my last one no, it's not gonna be as good as that. <laughs> but uh what a place to start but in terms of so it seems to me like that from the very beginning that the pipes right that piping was in some way like emblematic of of here and us and uh, I mean I'm, I, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about other examples the pipes are in lots of different types of music but but these Illan pipes um, they had that kind of power from from way from way back from the beginning yeah well I, I think they are like you know it's obviously one of the iconic instruments of the Irish tradition you know because mm-hmm. it's one of the only like you know 
uh, like indigenous instruments, you could say, even though, I mean, like this is what I thought when I got into them first and I was like really like effused of the magic of the pipes and I was like, oh, this is a really amazing thing. When you look into the history of the pipes, you do see that there was, you know, it's not quite as Irish as you, m- you might think it would be in the first place. There was the Irish war pipes yeah. that were current up until around like the 16th or 17th century. But then the Illum pipes stem from this older instrument that are called the pastoral pipes. Yeah. And they were very much uh, a musical instrument of the upper classes and they were developed between makers who lived in like, I think Edinburgh and different parts of England and Ireland who were kind of like copying each other and you know kind of developing this instrument it became like a bellows blown kind of thing a bit more delicate a mm-hmm. bit more kind of suited to being played in parlors and stuff like that and then the Ellen pipes actually comes from that instrument okay so it's so that as, instrument is not just exclusive to, to Irish tradition no well you have other instruments that are very similar like you have the Northumberland small pipes that are also bellows blown and you have the Scottish small pipes that are bellows blown yeah. as well you is know? that what Brigitte uh so um, Bridge Campbell. Yeah. Bridge Campbell, yeah. That's what she plays? Yeah. Because that sounds fantastic. Amazing. I, yeah. I love it. Yeah, I love it. And I, so I suppose it was all to do with like, refining this like older kind of form of bagpipe yeah. that would have been known here and in Scotland and probably in parts of England as well. Right. And so 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 then the name Illan was, was conferred upon the instrument when... Yeah. Well, when the instrument was around first, like you see, if you look at like records from say like the turn of the century um and before around no usually i think around the time i'm not sure the exact date when this term came in but people used to refer to them as union pipes okay um and you know some people say oh this refers to the uh, act of union between ireland and britain but it was i think it was recorded a couple of years before then so that would have been going back i don't think the act of union was like around early 1800s as far as i know yeah so the term uh, Union was used for a long time and then Illin I think was maybe like kind of only became kind of used around the kind of like cultural nationalism kind of era you know yeah like so you're coming up to then around the, the turn of the century okay right Illin Illin meaning elbow so yeah. so but then I mean in terms of of the development then of the Illin pipes there's nothing really that that you could compare it to you know in, in other cultures really it's it's, it's pretty much no, I mean there there are like there are bagpipes from like most countries in the world in some yeah. form or another, but none I think can be said to have reached the same like kind of like stage of evolution as the yeah. pipes. Yeah. There's just so many bits to it, you know. Yeah, there's so for many sure. different aspects. There's like uh, uh, regulators then, in particular, you know. Yeah. So just maybe on a purely functional level, um, the the the, the different parts, um, by way of explanation. Okay, so I suppose I should start off with the bellows, which is pretty much like um, a leather form of the bellows that you would use to kind of stoke a fire with or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. They have squeezed under, usually under your right arm if you're right-handed, uh, like, uh, you know. Um, and then you would have the blowpipe going from the bellows over to a leather bag that sits underneath the other arm. And then from that bag, you would have um, a main stock which comes out and lies across your lap, and mm-hmm. that would have... On a full set, you would have like three drones and three regulators coming from that main stock. Mm-hmm. And then the bag would kind of extend out. There's a neck on the bag, and at the end of that, you'd have the chanter. Mm-hmm. The chanter is the part that you play the melody on. Mm-hmm. 
Um, that's the... So just from the point of view of the other side of that magic uh, thing, um, I, I have to explain, Ian, that, that I'm, I've been pretty much fascinated by the sound. Um, as I think the whole journey through music for me is about sound and... Uh, and I was not prepared for the sound of, of the Ilan pipes in my home. And that's how I, my journey began with them. And it was Leonard Barry, you probably know Leonard. Yeah, um, yeah. Amazing player, good man to a baptism of fire, let's say. <laughs> but, you know, I'd been messing around with high fidelity for many years. And then a set of pipes came into the house. And from that moment forward, it was like, well, there's no other sound that could be so complete as that. Um, it was just, I was, you know, in tears, revelation. So the 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 um in the in subsequently, I got to do a project with um, Siobhan O'Malley in the dock uh, in Carrick and Shannon, um, with three and and uh, were kind of a rotating group of four great pipers, um, so uh, so there was um a real baptism, a, a real insight into what is actually involved in in the playing and and trying to play together, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and uh, so there's like um. I mean, it looks like you're trying to really control something beyond what you're playing with the tune. There's this whole other dimension. And, you know, seeing those lads um, uh, playing together and hearing them play together and, and just how it felt like three planes flying in unison in terms of what each individual had to do. Yeah. Would that be fair to say? It's a serious amount of coordination going yeah. on at any given time. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, of, uh, it like takes a lot of physical exertion and mental exertion yeah and it, yeah it's not and then in terms of the learning right the steps towards being able to play on a full set what what are those kind of basic steps in terms of well i mean yeah first of all you would start off with a practice set which would be like bellows bag and a chanter yeah you know obviously the first thing you, you want to learn to do is to be able to play the melody yeah of the tunes so uh yeah i mean most people would be playing that for like you know it a couple of years at least yeah until they got a set of drones and when you add a set of drones then they have a half set yeah and then i suppose it's all about learning how to you know rebalance everything once you put the drones in because you need to add enough air in to have the drones kind of working at a constant level but also being able to work the chanter above the drones because you know obviously the difference between playing in the first octave and the second octave on the chanter is the amount of pressure you're putting on it so you want to be able to change that pressure when you need to without changing the pressure that's going through the drones yeah. and like keep the drones going steady while you're doing that so that takes a few years to get <laughs> I, I had this it's well, just you know? even visually because we I, I was collaborating with a French visual artist Lionel Colune on this project and we were kind of uh, we, we try to kind of create he used to call it organic material it was like video feedback so we'd film the lads playing and then kind of relay it and it was like um just an incredible uh so it, it felt like sometimes like that the, 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 they were it was like controlling an octopus or some kind of thing you know what i mean, yeah, I mean it was just like yeah. for it to slip out of control was it's yes it felt so easy and then that remarkable thing was three people pray, playing in unison but um so look on that bombshell maybe we should go straight to willie clancy and um do you want to say anything about this piece that you've chosen before we play it well i, I chose this piece because it really displays in a very great way one of my favorite uh, bits of ornamentation on the pipes and yeah. that's the crown and the crown is basically where you're like you're playing on the bottom note and you you do a kind of like ornamentation on the bottom note where it's like kind of repeats but it's like 
dum 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 but it's like yeah because it's like, hard to explain but okay. it's just amazing well, look, and it's it, Willie Clancy is just amazing it's, right. when he does it it sounds like a well because look I don't have my, my notes on uh, today I, I you, you sent that to me and I listened to it 10 times in a row and it's really? like it just felt like well surely he's the cold train the guy who can do things that just and, and one of the, what the question was well you know what sets him apart what does he do there but look let's hear it and talk about it afterwards
it's just incredible uh, playing and just that kind of completeness of sound. It's a wall of sound, right? It's, yeah. it's the original. It's a Miltown <laughs> wall of sound. Yeah, I mean, isn't we, it, we have everything going at once, you know, the drones and the regs and the yeah. chanter. It's just like... <laughs> so, so when it came to, to playing or to, to doing visuals with that material, with the, with the live playing of the Three Pipers, right? It was um, a thing that... It was, it was a real... Open, an eye-opening thing to try out to do things even though we were kind of doing things live with painting and stuff along to pipes because one of the biggest revelations early on was that pipes don't need visuals because you, you, there's there's no room for anything <laughs> you know as in there's hardly any room for <laughs> yeah, yeah the best thing actually is to shut your eyes uh, you know probably but as it was we did end up um you know doing something really interesting where we were able to do uh, stuff live in, in tune with the, the sound and kind of relay it in a kind of yeah. organic uh, material visual video it feedback. It was like Macho Acosta, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so actually one of the things we got to do was we got to take it to Paris, you know, and oh. uh, but man, it went down well over there. Yeah. <laughs> the audience were, you know, for want of it, yeah, sophisticated is, is a word that they use in Paris a lot, I'd say. So, uh, but, you know, there was an appreciation for what was going on that was on such a surprising and, and, and brilliant level. Is yeah. in, you know, I, in my pigeon French, I tried to say, well, these are, you know, very basic things, but like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a landscape. It's a, it's a thing that like <laughs> conjures something. And, uh, but it was funny because, uh, I was doing the visuals and, uh, and so the way we do it was like with, um, like a glass table and I'd move things that I found in the garden around and it would delay through this system that Lionel had set up. So it was quite trippy for want of a better word, but it was essentially kind of moving with the sound, you know? So yeah, we got yeah. it to, finally after lots of trial and error to match. And um, so uh, at the end of it, right, uh, a woman came up and she said, uh, where is your magic box? And I was, uh, oh, yeah. I not previous, uh, no previous information about where the magic box was, but she was, I was trying to say, oh, no, this is the music and, and this is what I, but she wanted to know, like, where's the magic coming from? Because there was something like <laughs> that had happened in there. Yeah, right? yeah. So I went back out and I told Nora from, from the cultural center, um, oh, this lady said this and she thought it was amazing and all that. And she said, that woman is the bane of our life. <laughs> it was like, not tonight. So, so that, that. It, it just was, it was, I mean, well, I, I wasn't doing the playing, but the it made me so proud to yeah, to see yeah. um, Podig McGovern, right? Oh, Jesus, yeah. yeah. And Leonard and and, and Matthew and sometimes yeah. John Tuhi as well. Oh, yeah. Who's another fantastic He's player. Amazing, yeah. So like full power, three Ilan pipes in the center of Paris. It was, there was a lot yeah. of heat, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and yeah, it was just, it was, I suppose, yeah. What I asked you at the start about it being something kind of emblematic, but there is something in it that, that I don't know, something, there's a mysterious connection between yeah. it and us that's probably yeah. hard to, even for somebody who's a, you know, a super player it, like yourself. No, it's hard to describe. It's, I remember uh, all I can compare it, that story to is the first time, I was, I was the first year I was getting lessons was from Gamey Cowan. Another great piper up in yeah, the, in the Pipers, Pipers Club, Club yeah. yeah, doing and, amazing uh, work. Oh, think. absolutely, yeah. To, to bring it heroes. back, more or less. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're, they're, they've done some amazing work over the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years, but um, still doing amazing work. But I remember the first time I was in a lesson, and he like 
it was towards the end of the year and he was playing a tune to show us a tune but he turned on the drones which he never <laughs> usually did in the class and he started playing the regs and I swear to, like I was fucking grinning mm-hmm. like just had a ginormous <laughs> grin and I walked out like for the rest of the day I had, it was like yeah. and this is like oh my god it's <laughs> heard the coolest thing ever like yeah like hey and but he, like it obviously I'd heard it on recordings but hearing it in the same room mm. that's and the face, thing face, was... and almost feeling the yeah. air just like yeah. like blown you away you know so you just look Ian that's what I was trying to describe when I was telling you about being literally in tears with the joy of that sound and the yeah. and the and the the, you know the all-encompassing nature of it you know as in it's the complete picture yeah. um something i wanted to ask you about as a player right so when it comes to last week i had uh, brendan jenkinson on the show a great guitar player we were talking about diamond fingers this dude from guinea who who's just a magician when in terms of sound and he was saying about you know how it's a visual thing really when you play the note and then you see the next note and then it connects with the previous one and then it's a bigger picture right but that must be on a whole different level when you're playing the pipes because you've got so many things going on at one time but is there that kind of uh, does that kind of make any sense in terms of like how you see it when you play it or or does that make any sense to you I think it, when I'm playing, like I visualize it in my head in a way that's totally different to the layout of the actual instrument. Right. Like, and I would kind of play with my eyes closed a lot of the time. I don't know how. Like, I you'd kind of like see see the tune, in a way, but almost like. You're, a step behind it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. the same way with a song. It's like, as you're, singing a line, you're almost simultaneously already thinking about the one afterwards yeah but what it doesn't take away from the bit that you're doing you know yeah if that makes sense yeah, yeah it's like yeah. how it's like your brain brain splits okay into yeah. like looking two seconds into the yeah, future like a footballer or a, a basketball player you know with yeah. the pass or whatever like the two seconds ahead thing yeah uh, but also I, I i read recently somewhere about um you know when you're skiing that that's the one thing where you know you have 100 percent of your senses are occupied when you're doing that yeah so i'd yeah, say if, I'd, I'd say it'd be pretty close when you're piping yeah or like a diver or something like yeah. that yeah 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 so look we'll, we'll move on um so we're going to go to sean mckiernan next um i love sean mckiernan's yeah. piping yeah i think he's one of the only uh i think he's probably the only piper still alive on the yeah he is on the the tunes that I sent you, yeah. But there's just something really amazing, and to me, that like, just sounds like really wild about his piping. Um, and I think he's like he he lectured in music in uh, UCC, and he plays like classical piano and stuff. But like on the pipes, he's just a madman. It's like, yeah. but like it's really amazing. And but I, I listen to that, and I just go, yeah. Like, why would you want to play in a really straight way just so you can? playing sessions he's just like gone off on his own yeah. tangent and just yeah. this stuff he comes out with his magic okay deadly this is called woman of the house great title Thank you. 
so full of energy, Ian. It's like it's got this beautiful supple kind of sound that's like almost yeah. aquatic or something. Yeah, no, I, do, I, I just <laughs> love listening to uh, listening to pipe and just like so much. Like you could take any like two second snippet out of that yeah. tune and be like, oh, like this is going on, this is going on, this is going yeah. on. It's just like full of just stuff everywhere. Yeah, you know, like Brilliant. a force. Like I mean, is the, is there any other? I mean okay you know is there another instrument that you could say has as that kind of okay so look john coltrane playing the saxophone there's a i mean like in, in terms of the irish tradition like i think yeah, but I, like I'm, a, I'm even you know. i'm even talking wider than that do you know what i mean as yeah. in, as in kind of like it's a phenomenon it's in it's a sonic phenomenon yeah yeah i mean I, I'm, I'm sure it's out there i'm sure there's other like traditional musics from around the world but i, yeah. I haven't looked that deep into any of them but just yeah can that. we take a, t- a tiny break and i'll play you that that thing yeah, from yeah, that. But, um, yeah but it's just i mean in terms of um the sheer power of what's going on there and, and what one person yeah. can do i mean well, it's total virtuosity hard. as well like you yeah know, yeah Okay, so look, I just want to take a tiny diversion and uh, play you this thing from Sardinia, right? So this is from, from 1930 by Fisio Malis, and it's called Fear Asio. <laughs> Thank you. 
from from 1932. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, intense, incredible music. There's 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 no room for error there. It's just oh, and it's crazy when you see someone playing them as well. There's like basically three yeah, little so bits of straw coming yeah, out of your mouth. Yeah, right, Do right. So, and so it's kind of like a. It's also kind of called a Sardinian uh, triple clarinet, I think. But um. So one is the drone and the other two you play. Is, is yeah, that how it works? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, before I suppose, my point being that before we get carried away, that there there are other examples of, of you know, polyphonic instrumentation. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Um, and I'd say, like, the Leonidas could have been one of the earliest. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, well, not one of the earliest, but, like, they, they do go back a lot longer than... Yeah. You have evidence for any bagpipes around this part of the world yeah because they're yeah so it's like we're talking like hundreds of years thousands maybe thousands like it, of years i don't wow. know if okay. i've heard like a 2000 in relation i don't oh, know i haven't God, right. looked up the evidence personally yeah. or anything yeah. but that's yeah. what i heard i saw I, I went to a lecture uh by two uh sardinian lads that were around a few years ago and yeah. they had like one younger lad playing it and one fellow from some organization over there that is kind of you know like the, the P breathing of Sardinia kind yeah. of goes. Yeah. Yeah. That combination of, of polyphonic singing and I mean there's another example I might play it if we have time, but um another guy, Luigi Louis is his name, but he's it's very much like the, 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 the singing and the what's it called? Sorry again, the the, the name of the instrument. Uh, Lamellas. Lamellas, yeah. So Lamellas. So it's like um it's yeah, a combination of incredible mixture of the singing and that sound we might play one there in a while but um cool. i mean the, the, the culture in sardinia um an island nation just any every time i go to to that music i'm finding things that just completely incredible music yeah. oh it's amazing and corsica too um so um, i'm going to go to the seamus ennis one next um in i suppose as somebody who has you know, um, in terms of, of collecting and going to the archives and and um, and investigated the folklore in that way. Um, it's um, Seamus Ennis is, is such an important figure, uh, even you know, apart oh, from yeah. his incredible yeah. piping. So he's um, a key person, really. Yeah, no, absolutely, he's he's iconic. Yeah. Um, he just yeah, just so so much amazing work like his his entire life. Yeah. He was just. Yeah, and so was he in terms of his job going around the country? When did that kind of start, or what was the? Um, I think timeline? so. He would have been employed by the Irish Folklore Commission. I think in the. Oh, well, no, someone's going to listen to this and tell me that I'm wrong. Um, early forties, mm-hmm. as far as I know, and he was doing that for a good number of years, and then he left that job and he worked for the BBC. Then, then I think he was doing like collecting work, doing the same kind of work, but for the BBC. Mm-hmm up until the 50s and then he was involved in different kind of things yeah and just yeah the piping is just absolutely amazing so oh, yeah. th- this one that you've picked here it's um yeah the silver spear yeah silver spear the dublin reel and uh i think miss monaghan's okay perfect let's hear them <laughs> Thank you. 
Um, yeah, right on target, so precise. Um, Seamus Ennis from North County Dublin. Um, is there, yeah, there's, what, what kind of sets him apart, his playing, in? Oh, he was just, like, one of the fucking best. Like, I, I suppose it's, like, his technicality, uh, the precision, the just the amount of detail that he put into it. It's, like, every time around he plays the tune, he's putting in different mm-hmm. minute variations. Mm-hmm. Um, just really, just really, like, very just full and complex piping. Yeah. There's just so much there. Yeah. Can I just ask you how it feels? So when you're in playing with Lancome, right, um, like doing your thing within all of that, it's a, um, I mean, that, that extra bit of space in your head that's thinking ahead to the next line and stuff like that. Is, is there also part of you, you know, thinking about what everybody else is doing and how you're getting on with that? Or is it, how, do, how does that kind of work in the moment? Well, I mean, I, yeah, I wasn't even like thinking about uh, us more thinking about playing tunes earlier on when we were talking about that. But playing with Lancome, I, I think playing with a band in that context, it's a completely different thing, you know. Mm-hmm. It's really what I am mad about and why, the reason why I get into the pipes is like just listen to like solo playing, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it's at. I don't mm-hmm. think listening to the pipes and listening to people playing tunes twice doesn't need anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, even some, if you hear a piper playing with a guitar or something, I'm like, bah. Yeah, right. Guitar. You know, yeah. what's that all about? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, with Lancome, it's a totally different thing. You know, mm-hmm. and it, the way that I'd even like use the pipes in the yeah. band would I mean, be in was, a totally that's what, different that's way. That's why I was interested to, to know because of of I mean that raw solo thing. Yeah. is a, a kind of an island unto itself. So then yeah, take that sound yeah. and put it within, you know, the sound of a band and uh, just how that works. It's it's a different. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, playing in, in a band, it's, it's, I mean, it brings its whole other, like, kind of a set of baggages with it, you know. You're playing on a stage, you're playing with other people, there's lots, lots of other things to think about, you know. Yeah, sure. Yeah. There's a lot going it's just on. a different story altogether. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but just purely, purely in terms of, I suppose, you know, the way that, like, um, when it comes to the Lancome sound and the way you've developed over the years, it's just like, that, that kind of natural bed that you've created for the music in, in you know, with the drones and, and so yeah, on and so forth. Yeah. It feels like a very natural setting for stuff to happen on top. I mean, I mean it's been said to you before, I presume. Yeah, yeah. Um, was that kind of moment of revelation that you had in, in Gay's class when he put on the drones, is that something that kind of yeah, carried no. forward into yeah. to, to what can you possibly do that's different to everything else? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's one aspect. And I think it's just that that, that general sound just embedded itself in my mm-hmm. psyche, you know, mm-hmm. just that really like soupy tick, like, you know, you're talking about like three drones going at the same time, like, you know, an octave, one, an octave above the one before, like in a, in a wooden room and then having that going and then the pipes playing on top of it and then having the regulators going, having a harmonic accompaniment, you know, mm-hmm. that's like that kind of dynamic, I think it really obviously informs the band as mm-hmm. well even though it sounds totally different and we're using lots of other instruments to achieve that still having that like deep bed of drone yeah and then building on top of that you know, yeah whether it's with voices or other instruments mm-hmm. i yeah, mean it's yeah it's, it's so solid in in terms of in terms of that uh, as a bedrock yeah, uh, yeah on which to yeah to build new kingdoms and it's like yeah it's like every 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 frequency is yeah. taken over by that you know it's just there's no yeah. hiding from it yeah. there's no no arguing with it no no there's no messing around <laughs> but it's like you know when I listen to stuff like uh, you know 
sung or like some really heavy drone music mm. it's just it's the same thing it's just like Jesus you know you're either going to do this and you're going to just lose yourself in this music or else mm-hmm. you just don't listen to it you know it's mm-hmm. you don't really have a choice when it's there it, it just it takes up everything mm-hmm. it's like so I think it's really good for meditation and stuff because there's no yeah. room for yeah. any thoughts to come in once yeah. you're there it's just like yeah it's that same completeness that I was talking about when it came to feeling your way into some kind of visual connection with it because it's just it's it's a complete thing in itself a kind of an entity Um, so the next piece the last piping piece Ian what's that one it's a tune uh, by a piper called Tommy Wreck and the tune is called Gillen's Apples Um, Tommy Wreck is my favourite piper of all time yeah wow he's like just a very very like beautiful and understated musician well I mean I, I, see, I think he died in 1990 yeah but um, his music is just I think it's absolutely beautiful right it's uh, I mean you listen to some of his younger recordings and it has I mean he had the same like technical capabilities of you know Seamus Ennis or Willie Clancy but a lot a lot of the recordings that you hear of him were done later in life and it's just something so gentle about his piping and re- just very very distinctive I've just mm. never heard anyone else play the pipes quite like him that's a lovely introduction so Tommy Rick <laughs> sweet that sound that he he's he, so sweet right his sound yeah Tommy yeah. Where, where is he from actually Tommy Rack was from the Liberties okay and he would have been taught by um, old Sean Potts who was part of the Potts dynasty like, yeah you know the fiddler Tommy Potts and yeah. 
Sean Potts Senior and Junior. But um, I think the only people that uh, old John Potts taught the pipes to was Tommy Wreck and Brendan Bratnock, who was another great like uh, yeah. collector and like you know he wrote a lot about music yeah. at the time and not many other people so he passed it. the bat on on to, uh, to a good yeah, man yeah yeah um, you know I just want to play you uh, before we, we've uh, had uh, such a good discussion about piping I'm going to switch to singing for the last part of the show but um, so just as a little bridge I'm going to play you that piece with the Laonedas with the choir so this is by Luigi Lu I should say by the way that um, here on Mountjoy Square and the bus stop outside is that, uh, some live action from the street there so uh, let's hear this and uh, so it's Laonedas and uh, the, cho- the Coro de Neoni uh, again from Sardinia and this is called Anine. Pague vi più meo, pague fortuna denza de Deu. Annenea, 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 oh. Pague fortuna sa brenda mia, bene salute denza de via. Annenea, Stapanu, ne a minore, ne a manu. Sempre 
amore senza sconsolo e mai va se un'ora e dolo Uh, from Luigi Louis and uh, the Coro de Neonelli from Sardinia and that's called Anine and uh, and the people on the street are from Dublin, Ireland. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> how does that, yes, exactly. Ian, uh, how does that sound? It's a, I mean, what a combination there that those those the voices is as complementing the drones on the uh, yeah, yeah, there was some like, like, yeah, some like lads there on the low register was just blowing me yeah. away, just the tonal quality I of mean, his voice. So it's even like another dimension completely. Um, so look, on on this point, I think we're going to switch attention to the singing, right? And and so the first one, um, John Riley Jr. from from Tom Munley's collection. Tom Munley, another character who you know a lot, a huge debt is owed to. Um, I, I I want to play you uh, something from from another one of his collection just after we hear John Riley Jr. But maybe it being false Lancome, it has. It, it's not only meaningful in terms of the title, but you would rate this as your favorite recording, right? Is that, is that Absolutely. true to say? Yeah. Number yeah. one. Number one of all time. <laughs> like to me, okay, so when this was recorded in 1971, Tom Munley was like kind of newly employed by the Irish Folklore Commission. Yeah. Like he had been, he recorded John Riley and stuff a few years earlier, but he was kind of just doing that off his own bat, like as a personal kind of hobby, you know? Mm-hmm. But he was employed by the Irish uh, Folklore Commission, as they were called at the time, in 1971. And he was on a collecting trip, and I think so. In uh, the, maybe the summer of the year, maybe in August, he had recorded this man, John Riley Jr., and realized you know, he had a number of like old ballads, um, like these really old, like Irish and Scottish ballads, you know, um, like I, his relation, John Riley who I think maybe was John Riley Jr.'s uncle I've heard before I'm mm-hmm. not sure though he also had lots of these really old like English ballads that had like been long forgotten even in England you know they hadn't right. been noted down for like 150 years but like so John Riley Jr. sang the song called uh, False Lancome and I've heard the recording but when he recorded it John Riley Jr.'s mother-in-law insisted on singing along with him right. even though she didn't really know the words and yeah she kind of like it was it's a funny recording so he went back two months later he went back in October to yeah. record the same song again from him uh, so to me like this is like it's simultaneously a really really like a heartwarming recording but also really heartbreaking yeah. because if you picture the scene it's John Riley Jr living in a, a bow tent in the middle of a bog in Roscommon I think in Clune yeah, Gren yeah. and he's sitting there but and as he's singing the song his kids are like climbing over him and messing and yeah, it kind of causes them to laugh he's playing with them effectively yeah, is what, yeah. I, like what I could get from yeah. it yeah. 
but like when you think about okay there's this man like living in this situation of like really extreme poverty and yeah. deprivation and he's singing this like ancient like song about like lords and ladies and living in castles and high intrigue yeah. and the song itself has such a like cinematic kind of yeah. scope to it you know it's it's just I can never get enough of just thinking about that scenario of the, that man singing that song yeah in that tent you know I think yeah. it's just absolutely magical oh that's a beautiful introduction so so let's hear it False Lancome John Riley Jr. Oh the Lord and his lady they went walking one day said the Lord to his lady those words he did say be aware of false Lancome, artisan of his men. Be aware of false Nora, and don't let her in. And I'm not afraid of false Lancome. Artisan of his men, I've my door fairly bolted, and my windows hardened. Though the Lord was not long gone, when false lying come came in. And he knocked at the door, and the nurse let him in. Say now where is the Largan? Artis is he adding? He is gone to fair England. Far to speak to the king, and the false Nora gave some jakey, was a stab in this side. False Nora gave some jakey, was a stab in the night. False Nora, false Nora, are you asleep or awake? Don't you hear my fine baby and crying so awake? I cannot please your baby. Need a press milk or wine I would beg you, my lady Would you that live a while It is how could I get down there This dark dreary night Without a fire before me, are a candle to light. 
You are three of those bright mantles, dear as bright as the moon. You put one dim all around you, you will get a one hair soon. She put one dim all around her. She came tripping downstairs into false lingoms I roam. This lady appeared. False Lancome, false Lancome, will you spare me one hour? I'll give you as much money, oh, that lies in my power. If you give me as much money that my horses could not draw, that will not keep my bright sword from your white naked jaw. False Lancome, false Lancome, Will you spare me one hour? I'll give you my daughter, Basie. She's the flock of a deep flower. You call down your daughter, Basie, and I send her to work. Far to scour the silver basin, far to hold your heart's blood. Daughter Bessie, daughter Bessie, keep yourself locked up high, cause your dad, oh, he will come here. When he's late now, by and by. Oh, was Lancome, was not long gone, was a ride from this place. When the Lord, he came here, and the place in last grace. There was blood in the kitchen there was blood in the hall there was blood in the cradle it was far sad in all there was blood in the kitchen there was blood in the hall and the young queen of England lying dead by the wall. Daughter Bessie, daughter Bessie, it is who was adding. False Lancome, he was here. Twenty of his brave 
Vaselein kom, was hongen, was a skafel so high. And in all she was born in the hills of her mind. I don't know why you're like that. Um, it's such an incredible recording. So he he's quite young, you think, Ian? Yeah, I think he was around 27 at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously he has a very sweet voice and he sounds... Maybe, he sounds really sounds sweet, younger, yeah. Maybe, yeah. And and those charming sounds, that, that it's lovely to know the backstory of... of yeah, that. yeah, like the kids. Apparently, if you look at the Tom Munley's notes for the day, he had like bought a couple of lollipops for the kids and they were eating them and messing around and you can hear like a dog barking and what sounds like a tractor driving past yeah, in the background yeah. and stuff there's I, I just love it like and we're so in the era on. of I mean I, I remember it because you know growing up in the 70s in in, um, in Kerry there was there was uh, a chimney sweep came to our house and he camped in front of the, the house you know and uh, and would go to certain places and camp yeah. and stay a while and all that and in the last few years through Thomas McCarthy I've got to know a lot about how you know just how key the the traveler uh, culture is in terms of the yeah. preservation and 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 the entire the essence of the singing is in yeah. culture, right? Yeah. And and people like Tom Munley were clearly skilled at at, at getting those recordings done in that Absolutely. setting. You know. Yeah. Um, there's another one that I, I just want to play quickly in from, from the same period. So it's actually the year later, right? And I have to thank John Tuhi for sending me this one. So this is, the, the singing on this, there's something in, in the emotion in this sing, singing um, that just blows my mind. It's, it's by Anne O'Donnell, a traveler in a derelict house at Green Street, Boyle County, Roscommon, my darling brown-haired boy. Oh, I don't know, I don't in the I meant for to make my bed. I'll gather the green arrays of the trees. How to shade under my love's head. Of his violets are blue. Let him go where he will, he'll be my love still, my darling brown here by. How the very first place I saw my love's face was the down his tunies he fell. I lifted him up. Right knee. If your violets are blue, how would I be my love true? How did the other young men hold I? Let them say what they will, he'll be my love still, my darling brown hair by. Somebody's farmer's daughters are rolling from town to town. <laughs> and the more of these farmer's daughters, they are coming.
Baumen durch alle Lachsaut. Let's go for the will. How I be my last so how about that that's that's i mean everything that i'm looking for in music is is actually in that song that two two minutes and 11 seconds um everything i'm not looking for in society is outside my window <laughs> but isn't there isn't it all in it's all in there right there's yeah that thing is all that for years like, yeah it's exactly new the dylan line about on. i could listen to it and never realize the time forever but it, it, the thomas mccarthy that vibrato sound that he is his trademark sound that's in there too right there's something it is yeah there's some some kind of like the like i was saying before it's like the what what like you know these fucking people called a glottal stop like vibrato on a glottal stop yeah. you know not really fond of using these kind of terms but it's a it's, uh, okay. it's a technical thing <laughs> yeah no like really it just i'd say it's at once very strange and very like yeah I don't know, I don't want to use the word exotic, but like, you know, it's not the kind of thing you're used to hearing from you know, the way Irish you can, music. You yeah, know? exactly. When you when you, when you you hear people like Hon Her Too or something and there's yeah. something going on that's like, oh, what's that? It's a voice. Oh, right. And and then that's kind of, I found that that kind of surprise at what, what she's doing there. And again, I, it's something I've listened to repeatedly and I never get bored with it. There's... No. Um, deep soul at work there. there isn't there yeah, um, so just just before we move on um, Ian Tom Munley um, so he uh, was was the folklore commission from from 71 from onwards. 71 up until he died um, he was one of the last collectors they basically kept on one of the last collectors were still employed yeah doing that country. job yeah. yeah he's doing it for the rest of his life I mean hearing Thomas um, describe the genesis or, or the provenance of the songs that he sings and how intertwined they are in many generations of his family um that 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 complex nature of the sort of the, the rich tapestry that's in the the oral tradition in, in traveler culture is is phenomenal it's right? really amazing when well, you think listen back to that um john Roddy jr recording and think about the fact that you know he was living like that and singing these songs and at the same time there was people you know, this is when like the ballad boom was going mm -hmm. and it was people like still unaware of that, you know, like Tom mm -hmm. Munley was always a great champion of traveller singers and mm -hmm. he said many times, he said whenever he's looking for traditional songs when he goes to a new area, like the traveller's camp was the first place that he goes to because yeah. he knows he'll always get good singers yeah. there. But it was like nobody else in the country had, who was interested even in traditional song, I mean, yeah, either they hadn't cottoned onto it or they knew it was a thing, they were like, oh, that's not real stuff or I mean, it's general prejudice against travelers you yeah know, that's where it stemmed from sure you know i mean over in england you had topic records were putting out um records of like anglo romany gypsy singers and even they put out the john Riley recording and um, bonnie mm. green tree but like there was nobody i think out in ireland like none of the record labels yeah. or anything would would have been willing to put out a rec record of traveler just, just as a, a, on a slight diversion Ian when it comes to you know because um, on the show a couple of weeks ago I did a Black Lives um, special and um, and I think it's brilliant that we've had the opportunity to in the wake of something so dreadful have that debate here but 
can we honestly sort of address those issues here without talking about how we treat travellers? I honestly don't think that there's any like any discussion on race in the country can go on that really means anything unless it takes into account mm-hmm. the history and the kind of modern like reality of travellers and their yeah. lives. Mm-hmm. Um, no way. Yeah, because it seems like, you know, direct provision is one thing and we need to get our house in order clearly, but there is, you know, a systemic problem in, in, in our own uh, yeah, in our own backyard, effectively, and the two things cannot be separated, and I think that's yeah. There was some really interesting statistics that um, there was someone called uh, Dr. Cindy Joyce. She was a traveler, and she put up some statistics about you know traveler kind of mortality rates and stuff compared to African American mortality rates back in the sixties when mm-hmm. the kind of the, the civil rights movements and stuff over there first became a big thing, and they're even now in Ireland they're way worse than they were in the States back then in the mm-hmm. 60s to put it into perspective like much worse mm-hmm. um, and yeah I mean I don't think that's as as cool to talk about it and I don't think there's as many people willing that's to talk about it you know yeah. because yeah. now obviously I mean I don't want to I mean I think it's great I think the Black Lives Matter movement is a chance for people to reflect on racism in their own like areas in their own countries in whatever Mm-hmm. kind of manifestation ma- that yeah, that, yeah. Whatever, yeah whatever form it takes yeah. and I think that um, I I I don't see how you can do that in Ireland without taking into account the, yeah. how travellers have been treated and yeah. it still doesn't seem to be I don't know it's, it's still people aren't really looking at it it's not yeah. you know there should be more of a light shone on that absolutely, absolutely. And, and yeah and going forward it we can't have one debate without engaging with the other. I think that's yeah. Kind of it's like to say, you know, think globally, act locally. You know, yeah, that's right. should be. You have to. There's no point. Yeah. Think. It's like, yeah. I mean, pay attention to what's going on in, in America and all, but like, yeah. You know, you need to put that into perspective and take yeah. it into account your own local situation and the particular kind of form that that takes. Because yeah. it's no point getting up in arms with what's going on on the other side of the world it's, yeah. we live here for sure you know? when I when I listen to music like that and, and I realise that you know because I suppose um, in on the show over the last while a lot of the investigations have been in Africa and have been um, in post-colonial societies very often okay and that there's a, in, in that there's uh, you know there's the, the sort of a, com- a, current, a common theme is undoubtedly that there's a, a spirit in the music when it's kind of like a spirit of resistance or, mm. or, or otherness or whatever it is. And and when I hear recordings by Tom Munley, I get that same feeling of there being some kind of soul laid bare in there. Yeah. A- and then I think about the fact that, you know, John Riley Jr., chances are was illiterate and he could remember 25 verses of a song, you know. Well, yeah, absolutely, and that's just it's it's testament to the to the kind of richness of so traveler to or the meaning of, of it within the culture. You know, as in it means yeah. this much that it's yeah. like it's like learning the Quran. You know, like, um, and and yeah, there's no doubt that there was you know great value placed on you know being able to like sing songs and tell stories. Yeah. you know, that was a big part of the yeah culture. Yeah. Um, and 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 on that, you know, from the part of the world that I'm from, Shlieve Luca, where the Shanaki is, I mean the these things are intertwined but you know the storyteller the story and the song had a currency in in that culture right a very important one part to play where does mary delaney come into it um ian well i think mary delaney fits in very well to what i've been just been talking about she was another irish traveler who was living over in london 
uh, and she had there was a lot of her songs recorded by a couple called um, Jim Carroll and Pat McKenzie and they were they did a lot of recordings in London around 1971 of Irish travellers who were living over there they're from Liverpool themselves they would have kind of been a part of uh, the you know like the kind of the critics club and Ewan McCall and all that they would have come from that but they went off and did their own collecting work Okay. Later on, they'd recorded in Clare, but they were around this time, the early seventies. They recorded some really, really amazing songs from Irish travellers living in around uh, in and around London. Yeah, because because I was familiar with the the uh, what will we do when we have the one the, the song that Rady uh, inhabits so well right there. But uh, well, her version, I mean, it's incredible. And also, same as with um, Willie Clancy today. When when you send me this. Um, and it, I, I listened to it several times uh, over um, on repeat. Um, what put the blood? It's got this ominous, dark title, and and the thematically, it's also incredibly dark, right? Yeah. Um, so let's hear it, and, and we'll talk in a sec, right? Way or have you been all along? Summer's day Sun come trailed And to me I was hunting and fowling The whole day long and this mamma pardon me or me and it's mamma pardon me why put the blood upon your right shoulder Son, come tell it and to me. It's the blood of a hair I killed today. That I killed so a man folly. I as I killed so manfully the blood is a hair and it cannot be so red son come tell it and to me that's the blood of my youngest brother that I killed so manfully. That I killed so manfully. Why it can between you and your youngest brother? Son, come and tell it and to me. It's 
mistake Ah, that never grow a tree, a tree. Ah, that never grow a tree. What will you do when your daddy will come home? Son, come and tell it and to me. I will pull my paws and board of the ship and I'll sail to a foreign country and I'll sail to a foreign country What will you do with your own lovely wife? Son, come tell it and to me she will push her falls and board of the ship and she'll sail all along with me with me and she'll sail all along with me what will you do with your two lovely children? Son, come and tell it and to me. I'll leave one to me, mammy, and the other to me, daddy, for to keep them company I for to keep them company what will you do with your two greyhounds son come and tell it and to me I will take the straps from around their neck and they'll hunt no more for me for me and they'll hunt no more for me what will you do with your two race horses son come and tell it and to me i will take those halters off their head and there is no more for me, for me, and there is 
no more for me. What will you do with your fine behouse? Son, come and tell it unto me. I will leave it there to the boars in the air, and there'll be no more welcome for me, for me, and there'll be no more welcome for me. That's the sound of Mary Delaney and What Put the Blood. Uh, what an astonishing song. It's kind of just, it's got this atmosphere that... that uh, it's, it's so much weight to it. So you know? much heavy, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yeah, a so, really heavy song. And, and so what, she'd be, this is 70s again or when is this? 1971 or two. Okay. I'm not, yeah, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Mary Delaney, I mean, she would have been... Uh, mother of 16 kids blind from birth yeah lived in a caravan for yeah. most of her life you know wow and i think you can like you, you were saying earlier you can really just hear that hardship yeah poured into yeah her songs i mean know? there's blood in the music there's a kind of a and there's poor, uh <laughs> um regular listeners will know that there's um there's a dog in the house there's Dog is in the house, um, but but yeah. So there's that there's that that. I, I soulful is a word that I would have. You'd have to put that. That that's the thing that really yeah, strikes you. Pure emotion, like, you know. It's, yeah. yeah. But there's 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 no trace of artifice or anything like that. No, or there's she's literally. It just sounds someone like pouring everything they have into this. Yeah. Song, you know. And, and when you hear these recordings and they're done with you know very often like with John Riley, um, just in you know they're their situation wherever they are there is somewhere in their normal setting that thing that you have to reach for when you're trying to kind of get your point across and you want to get it on tape the way that you feel it or the way you you know that kind of i suppose yeah. there's a kind of anxiety about that that's why people spend so much time recording um yeah. to get it right but then you hear examples like this time and again it's where it's just always natural. right yeah you know it's always in the place that it has to be to yeah. be understood or whatever and yeah. and surely that comes from like it being deep in the blood of from you know what i mean as in just going that kind of thing that happens in 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 west african cultures where there's the griot handing down the the sound through generations but it feels yeah. like this runs really deep yeah, well, I suppose, you know, if you have someone who's, you know, their natural context for singing is around the, the, the fire, around the heart with the rest of the family, you, you can't yeah. really remove it from that, you know. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's where, like, singing, traditional singing belongs. It's yeah. with friends and family in a, a kind of intimate atmosphere. Yeah. Taking taking it out and putting it on a big stage and stuff, it's, it's a, kind of an unnatural thing, you know. Yeah. It removes it from that 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 place that that creep is is intrinsic it's to where it came from where yeah. it belongs. It's intertwined with it on so many different levels. Yeah. you know. And uh, but I mean, you know, we were talking earlier, Ian, about the Golian Singers Club, which happens um, on a, on a monthly basis in Parnell Square, the Teachers Club, and there are other examples in Dublin the last number of years um, where 
there's a return to that that uh, or at least an acknowledgement of the value of, of that culture of, of singing and singing together in in, in the room and, and yeah, sharing yeah. songs in such a way I mean the Godin being an example I just I, I was telling well, you been gone for 40 years at yeah. this stage yeah been so, gone a long so, time. so recently I had Dutch friends around uh, hi Nishka and um, I yeah, they were around one night the Goldine was on. I've been to visit them in Amsterdam. I've seen all the Dutch masters. I've, I've, you know, bowed down at the architecture and the design and all the other fantastic things that they do, you know. Uh, and bringing them to Goldine was like, oh, this is what, these are, this is our masters. This is our Dutch masters, you know, as in the thing that nobody else has got um, that in the way that it works, right? In the yeah. way that songs move around and in the way that people sing together. And then in that kind of thing that happens in this country where when we're singing, we're, we're at our best or we're at, you know, we're, there's something about that, right? We've kind of got that in us. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that you kind of take for granted. Like, you know, for myself growing up, I would have had that thing in my family where people were just singing all the time and that was like oh yeah when people get together they drink and they sing that's yeah. that, you know I just grew up with that connection in my head yeah. and then you know you kind of you might be having a similar thing and you'd have some visitors from Germany or something over and I'd be just like what the what the hell is this <laughs> you know their minds just blown yeah, what's yeah, going yeah. on yeah yeah uh, Ian you know? could, could you pass me the dog <laughs> <laughs> give it a shot here oh sorry Cora Cora here come on here for fuck's sake <laughs> Tuberty doesn't have to deal with his pet. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so Ian, sorry. So the thing I'm is, sorry. right, just just on that point of, of you growing up in that environment, right? Um, so you're well aware of that kind of just how natural it all works in that setting, and the Goline being an example that people can visit and, and see how it works. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think it's 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 amazing that it's still going after you know after yeah. so many years and that there's other like I think every other singing session and singing circle in the country has taken its kind of impetus from the Goldie and like the yeah. has been gone before all of them yeah and that, that one of the most impressive things I think for my Dutch friends was just how it worked you know in terms of the there's not a kind of hierarchy you know maybe if it was in a, in a neighboring country or somebody there'd be somebody with something that they'd press and be very organized and there'd be a kind of a system of like okay and now and now and now but here it's just like usually you know you have to trick somebody or make a joke or there's a, there's a lovely way that it kind of it's so easy between people and yeah. and you know you hear like amazing singers and people who are brave enough to sing there and it's all welcome there's an evenness yeah. to that. So well, that kind of thing that might be intimidating about any other environment just is yeah. absent. Well, that's what I, what I really loved about when I was growing up. It wasn't, you know, it doesn't matter if someone's a good singer or if they're a bad singer, you know. You'd have somebody somebody who might be a bit more elderly and wasn't in good voice, as they say, and everyone would say, like, ah, oh, jeez, you never lost it, you fair play. And everyone yeah. would still, you know, be quiet and listen to them singing. I remember coming in when my nana was singing at one stage and she was quite old at the time and my dad just been like, don't laugh, you know what? What? And, and I was like, "Oh, look, Nana's singing!" Or she said, "Her voice is all crackly." And she's like, "Don't laugh." Just and I was like, "Yeah, okay, okay good." And lesson. that was the thing. It's just like yeah. you don't just, you know, yeah. Everyone gets a chance to sing. Doesn't yeah. matter. You know, it's not like who if you're good at singing. You're gonna sing way more songs than everyone else. It's just you go yeah. around the room. Yeah. And if someone can't sing, they might just do something else. You know. Yeah, that's the and thing I was saying. About, yeah, lovely. And um, and and also, you know, I mean, I was recently in the, in the past few years, I've just had these 
experiences where you've been in some of them actually where I've ended up in a place where everybody's singing, you know, and uh, and I again referring back to Sleeve Lucre in Knocknagree, um, the Dennis Murphy weekend would have oh, one yeah. house that was pure singing, and that was a baptism of fire for me because I, you know, went into a place where that was going on basically the goalie in. in not agree, you know, but um, so I, I, yeah, so I, I suppose it's just um, yeah, it's just it's it's a fantastic thing when you come to uh, sort of meet that full on and you see that example of that beautiful culture yeah. blossoming and blooming, you know. Well, I, I think it's brilliant that I mean, like you know yourself, these days there's so many people are starting to just realize that that's a thing, and that I mean, it's not as if this is the only place in the world where it goes on, but it's mm-hmm. like it's it's kind of seems like. It, in Ireland it's like naturally kind of there mm-hmm. never like died out at any mm-hmm. stage you know still carried on and that people are just going oh yeah this is something that we have that's actually mm-hmm. really good and it's something to be really proud of mm-hmm. in a not a shitty way you know yeah, no. not a jingoistic way at all oh not at all but just the uniqueness of it so like the, the things that so there was that time in at the Dennis Murphy weekend but I've also been to, to a couple of um, things uh, in the last few years where it's been like that connection in a room where it's uh, you know when when with the family that sings yeah. together one of them was at a wedding at 18 miles where it's just like you know pretty much everybody sang but just that that sense of harmony i suppose for want of a better word yeah. it's a beautiful thing to have it is it's it's like it's it's proper community it's like a, a real gel it's like something yeah. that really brings people together i think it's irreplaceable um, in those kind of communities, you have people like Frank Hart, right? So Frank Hart being a very key person, uh, where you know the the actual the soldiers on the ground who are really kind of performing that function of preservation and and uh, so he's he's a key person, right? In terms of, of yeah, well, Dublin I mean, he, he was another person who amassed a huge personal collection of songs over the years, you know, and mm-hmm. um, but who was also like I suppose unlike it, uh, Tom Munley, who who kind of. I know he sang it a bit, but like, you know, I suppose Frank Hart would be more of a performer and he recorded lots of CDs. Yeah. And he kind of put it out there, but obviously a man who was completely like just infused this passion for a traditional song. Yeah, and, and this particular song, The Finding of Moses. It's, uh, it's a, I, I think it's an amazing song. It's basically, so you hear a lot of people talking about this uh, man, Zosimus, who was oh, a yeah. street singer in Dublin. His name was Michael Moran. Yeah. And he was born in the Liberties uh, near Black Pits. And he would have been, I think, born around the, maybe like the end of the 1700s. Would have, yeah, like kind of early, kind of uh, 19th century. He would have been like, he was, he was blind from a very early age. I think maybe from smallpox. But he would have um, sang out on the street. Would have sold ballad sheets and sang songs. Some of which were of his own making. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean apparently he was great at like extempore just coming up with lines on the spot and sounds you know. like a kind of an Irish moon dog yeah yeah no, exactly yeah. yeah and I mean you, you know you wonder about how true these kind of, obviously he's like one of these characters you know like Bang Bang or another one of those whatever, Dublin like, characters yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, you wonder like you know whatever but the one thing like, like there's lots of people who say oh yeah this he definitely wrote this song and that song and he probably didn't but this song yeah. The Finding of Moses it's one that people are like yeah he definitely he definitely wrote this song wow. and it's amazing so it's all about the um basically like the, the birth of moses but it kind of like places the kind of scene of action in dublin <laughs> so it's like this weird crossover of like kind of biblical 
kind of um, events but all taking place like in Dublin it's like the kind of biblical event from a Dubliner's imagination Brilliant. I just think it's absolutely deadly so yeah oh, it's wow. Frank Hart singing on his first album um, Dublin, Dublin Street, Street Songs, songs yeah. yeah thanks for that introduction Amy on a job's banks contagious to denial the old pharaoh's daughter she went to bathe in style she took her dip and she come unto the land and to dry her royal pelt she ran along the strand a ball rushed to ripped her whereupon she saw a smiling baby in a water straw she took him up and says she in accents mild teenagers gettles now for which he is owns the child she took him up and she gave a little grin for she and moses were standing in their skin be dad now says she it was someone very rude left a little babby by the river in his nude she took him to her old lad sitting on the throne Da says she, will you give the boy a home? Be dad now, says he, sure I've often brought in worse. Go, me darling daughter, and get the child a nurse. And now, black am all woman, among the crew. Cried out your royal savage, what's that to do with you? Your royal ladies is too meek and mild To beget this honestly, this darling little child And then says Pharaoh, I'll search every nook From the Phoenix Park down to Donnybrook and when I catch hold of the bastard's father, I will kick him from the Nile down to the dollar. Oh, they sent a bellman to the market square to see if he could find a slavey there. But the only one now that they could find was the little young one that left the child behind. She came up to Pharaoh, a stranger Maria, never letting on that she was the baby's ma. And so little Moses got his mammy back, shows that coincidence is a not to crank. That incredible sense of humour and give the baby a home type of thing. Um, amazing. It really kind of, I had no idea about that song, but it, it's really all in there, isn't it? That kind of Dublin character. Yeah, yeah, um, I think it's it's absolutely amazing. Just, yeah. it's kind of like the, the larger world, like understood from a very kind of, uh, you know, 
just a small and particular yeah. part of society yeah. but just, it's someone just imagine what the rest of the world must be like and just like the whole world translated into yeah. Dublinese yeah. imagination you know? <laughs> it's fantastic uh, yeah absolutely so it's kind of give up your give up your old sins type of buzz off that kind yeah, of yeah 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 I never thought that uh, I should yeah, give a shout true. out to Dublin bus actually who are um, currently <laughs> keeping the engines running there on the number 33 stop but um, back in the day I had an inn in Dublin bus but I don't anymore but um, so so Ian just that kind of like capturing of the vernacular and the songs and all that is that what kind of what drew you to studying um, traditional music or, or what what, what how did that happen? I, I, I'm not sure, to be honest, but I think that it's just one of those things that I've just found completely, like, enduringly fascinating throughout my whole life. Yeah. No matter, like, any stage of my life, it's just something I've always been like, oh, what is this thing? And there's so much going on with it, and I still don't understand, like, half of what it is, and I'm just drawn to just find out more and mm-hmm. more and more. And what we're really talking about here is just like literally threads within a much bigger, richer tapestry, as in, you know, like we're just pulling at threads of the, yeah. of the whole thing, right? So just the little yeah. bits, the little bits that do exist that we can kind of piece together. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so that wasn't really, it was, you know, I mean, I suppose there's many reasons that you did that, really, you went down that road, as in, as in primarily because as you say it's like going to the well every day you can be pretty sure that there's going to be yeah you're looking for sustenance and I mean yeah like kind of growing up with it is you know was one part of it just growing up with singing and just being like kind of transfixed by what was happening just a very like physical act of someone like making a noise with their mouth and drawing it out and just being like oh and just the tonal qualities of what's and being in somebody's company like, like I was saying earlier on with the pipes being sitting beside somebody who's singing a song is just like the best thing I can mm. ever imagine wanting to do in my life mm-hmm. and just hearing the different tonal qualities coming off their voice into your ear and that's one aspect and then there's like what are they saying what are the words here and then what what story are the words putting together and what's that story mean and where does that come from and where did this person learn this song and where did the person before them learn it and what happened in between those two people learning the songs what does it mean to that person what does it mean to the person before them what mm-hmm. what do these kind of uh, images and these archetypes and things mean to those people and um, there's literally there's just so much there to it like I would just never ever get bored of thinking about like, <laughs> songs and what they mean and yeah what they are like what is a song mm-hmm. yeah and something oh, like, that's clearly ever blows my mind. <laughs> yeah well i i loved what you said there i think it's something that you know you never really get to the point of going oh that's what it is because it will change as well yeah. you know you'll hear it differently but i love that idea of 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 the quality of of listening when you're when you're in the room with somebody singing i mean that's a it's a different thing isn't it it's totally different and I mean it's I mean I listen to a lot of recordings of like singers and stuff but like the singers that I know in real life whenever I listen to recordings of them I'm always like nah nah it's not they didn't they didn't record it properly yeah but it's not a question of that it's just it's just I don't think it's possible to replicate the experience of sitting beside somebody it's almost like there's a physicality involved in it Mm -hmm. you're probably like feeling 
their breath like shift the air in the room. Yeah. And you're not going to get that off a recording of a singer. It's, it's a, like you're in their dimension. It being yeah. Their dimension is there's, there's so much more going on there. And yeah. I think when a recording of music or a recording of like singing in particular, like I, I'm going to say mainly singing here, but like a recording of that, it's almost like it only captures one dimension of like a five dimensional thing. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's it's only captures a fucking very kind yeah, of like a portion like a, like a grey shadow of what the thing mm-hmm. is and even though the recordings might be amazing to listen to like imagine what it would have been like to sit beside mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. person in a room when they were singing that song yeah like yeah. that would have been the real thing yeah you know I mean? it's a beautiful thought the last one was so full of humour and and uh, and this one equally so but in um, a slightly more double entendre sort of way I think uh so is this from Tom Munley again, Nora Cleary, the codfish? Is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah so I, I think it is because I know Nora Cleary was recorded by um, the the collectors I said earlier, um, Jim Carroll and Pat McKenzie. Oh right. But I think this particular song was recorded by Tom Munley. Yeah. As far as I know, like I, I I'm open to be corrected to that, but I think it was Tom Munley. But um, yeah, I really love this. It's just it's really earthy and really hearty, and I really just love when you can listen to someone singing and they're getting such a good laugh out of their own yeah. singing and their own yeah. song and they're just like just just having the absolute crack yeah oh there's there's joy in this song for yeah. sure in the music yeah. so this is the codfish Nora Cleary oh there was a little man and he had a little horse he saddled him and bridled him and threw his leg across Mr. Rattle-um a daddle-um hi Mr. Rattle-um a daddle-um a day he rode and he rode till he came to a brook where he spied a jolly fish, a man fishing with the hook. Mr. Rattle-um, a daddle-um, hi, Mr. Rattle-um, a daddle-um, a day. Fisherman, 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 said he, have you a codfish that you will give to me? Mr. Rattle-um, a daddle-um, hi, Mr. Rattle-um, a daddle-um, a day. Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, said he. I have a codfish that I will give to thee, Mr. Adelum, a daddlem. Hi, Mr. Adelum, a daddlem, a day. He caught the codfish up by the backbone. He threw him across his shoulders and rode away home, Mr. Adelum, a daddlem. Hi, Mr. Adelum, a daddlem, a day. When he got home, sure he couldn't find a dish, and he put him in the pot where the wife used to piss, Mr. Adelum, a daddlem. Hi, Mr. Adelum, a daddlem, a day. The wife got up in the middle of the night. She made for the pot and she got an awful fright. Mr. Rattle'em, a daddle'em. Hi, Mr. Rattle'em, a daddle'em, a day. A husband, a husband, the dibble is in the paw. He has me by the leather and he won't let me go. Mr. Rattle'em, a daddle'em. Hi, Mr. Rattle'em, a daddle'em, a day. They kicked him in the belly and they kicked him in the side and they kicked him up and there still the poor bastard died, Mr. Rattle'em, a daddle'em. Hi, Mr. Rattle'em, a daddle'em, a day. When you get married, don't get married too soon, for if you don't use the poker, you'll surely use the broom, Mr. Rattle'em, a daddle'em. Hi, Mr. Rattle'em, a daddle'em, a day. It could actually be like uh, it could be like the uh, sequel to uh, to uh, the finding of Moses. <laughs> what happened next? <laughs> oh, I just lo- love hearing a recording where people just start laughing. Yeah, I love it. It's, yeah, where they, it's yeah, like it. it's it's all happening all around. <laughs> Ian, just when it comes to something you said earlier about um, you know what's happening now. Okay, the, the Dublin bus is going away. Uh, when when it comes to what's happening now, or what has been happening for a while, it feels like from the outside that there's um, 
like a, a repossession of of our culture and there's a, a some 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 it definitely feels like a a change in that sense of of us looking not outward but looking towards what's around us and inside us yeah yeah well i you know i i would hope that's the case i yeah. think it's a very positive thing you know yeah. i think you you know you have to look inside first before you look anywhere else mm. you know yeah <laughs> if you're if you're not right in yourself yeah it goes for the kind of the the uh, national politic as well as the body politics yeah. like you know yeah but it, but in your case you were kind of already in that we'll say you know as in your your own upbringing was really you're pretty much in deep already right or was that well, the case? I, I don't know I, I don't know if i'd say i was in deep i mean i was in a, you know i was brought up in a family who sang together at you know whenever they got together yeah. and singing was a big part on both my ma's and my dad's side but it was like you know there was no it wasn't like people were singing like pop songs from the 60s and yeah. just singing <clears throat> old musical songs and mm-hmm. things like that you know mm-hmm. like, there, was, there wasn't any great interest in traditional songs at all there would have been maybe one or two but like the main thing that I I suppose I got from it growing up was just that like singing is good fun and it's a it's a, just a great way for people to spend time together to mm-hmm. like sing songs and have a laugh and it mm-hmm. aids greatly you know to the general mm-hmm. kind of well-being of sure. social gatherings you know the health of the atmosphere yeah, yeah yeah it's just deadly a deadly laugh yeah and it's like what you know you then you hear it's not until you grow up and you hear about other people's experiences growing up and they're like oh yeah on christmas i'd go to my granny's and we'd all sit there awkwardly yeah and i go no we, we'd be all fucking going mad like yeah. jumping around the room and singing Banging songs out the tunes. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know like yeah. it's it's amazing it's very healthy for and, sure uh, yeah i definitely count myself lucky you know i kind of took it for granted i think growing yeah. up and i'd be like you know growing up and being a teenage punk and being like you know yeah just hating everything but like you know not realizing that i was brought up with this wealth of like really so, so can i just ask culture. just a, it's slightly personal but like was that that the the ian lynch's rebellion um did that take you away from it for a while or was it you know a, a case where it was still going on but you were just being kind of in denial a little bit um i'm not sure i think i just didn't think about it for a long time you know right. i think it wasn't until I maybe when I was in my twenties and I started like kind of thinking about traditional music and traditional song, and then especially going to like uh, study folklore and stuff in UCD, and then I really started thinking about like the whole like social context of um you know traditional singing and like storytelling and all that kind of stuff, and then kind of learning about those kind of um. I know I don't want to call it a paradigm, but kind of placing like what I learned and kind of then thinking back about my own family situation, going, oh, well, we actually had this, mm-hmm. you know, an aspect of this kind of uh, culture, this folk culture that's mm-hmm. going on. And, you know, when you call it a folk culture, you instantly think, oh, it must be something that's really old. And, you know, but I'm talking about, like, you know, my aunties and uncles singing like Beach Boys songs mm-hmm. in a room at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And that's folk culture. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah yeah absolutely it's just as much as anything else is yeah. and i suppose it was it was more about just learning about yeah different aspects of folklore and then being able to kind of like view my own upbringing in terms of that that really i mean it shouldn't be like you know you don't have to go you shouldn't have to go to college or a third level institution to appreciate your 
um, your own upbringing but like no it made me kind of just look at it in a different light and realise mm-hmm. oh fuck yeah I was really like yeah I'm really lucky to have grown yeah. up with that because you can pretty much be sure that you know that that's probably you're, you're in the minority um, to be sort of grow up in such a way because you know the reason that we've kind of drifted away or maybe we did drift away because you know that that was kind of not available to people and, and uh, yeah so like I mean it's really great that you held on to it and then you could come back to it and with double the kind of knowledge that you had and being and then be able to bring it where you have it you know but just in the point of so when you're studying folklore are you playing in the punk bands are you playing music other music at the same time or is there separate things um at that stage i was uh i was studying and it was just me and my brother doing like the lynched gigs which yeah. would be more like more of a punk thing yeah back then you know yeah and i suppose it was probably around the same time when like when I was studying folklore, that I started getting into playing the pipes and probably started playing yeah. sessions around town and right. stuff, you know. So, um, which is probably possibly when I met you. So like mid to two thousand five or six or seven. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, I, I, then, yeah. I met you in Stony Banner, and uh, Diana said that um, Ian is plays the pipes, and, he, and you said I can't play the pipes. So, but I mean, <laughs> but I think it was probably you know you're probably still on the way up at that point, maybe. Uh, um, still am. Still am. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but just, just I suppose, um, it's just an interesting journey. I mean, every everybody's journey. But like, what you bring to the table now, it's it's very interesting. What you and Dara bring in there, and and quite clearly, it's very much um, something that you, you you yeah you didn't lick it off the stone. Yeah, well, I think that you know, just it being in a band, it's like everybody has their strengths and weaknesses, and it's about kind of like figuring out what they are and how you know what what can you bring to the table and how can you do it. Mm-hmm. in a way that complements what's going on with everybody else you know that's what we've been kind of spending the last few years uh trying to do as a band you know yeah but we'll say but with, with the live long day right the process of of getting that combination right and playing to your strengths i mean the the groundwork had been laid in the in in all of the previous time that you had spent playing together yeah, yeah, yeah. but there was that kind of leap in there as well wasn't there i mean that kind of very yeah. brave and, and you executed that jump well <laughs> it's looking close yeah for a while no, yeah well, I mean it was but it was t- kind of yeah so I suppose just in terms of the actual time involved in that process and the actual time of you playing around with Spud in the Meadow I mean how, what was the kind of time factor there like uh, uh, like how long did we spend yeah. kind of doing it and the actual recording well I mean actual recording would have been I think we went in for two weeks first of all and we went back in for another like week and a half or something and then we would have been going in and out of uh, Spud Studio then uh, Gorilla Studios for like you know just bits and pieces in mm-hmm. and out I suppose maybe like uh, four weeks mm-hmm. all together mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and then it's a long long time mm-hmm. piece um, all together <laughs> yeah um I don't know if you, you've probably listened back to the vinyl version, have you? It's an I haven't heard fucking vinyl version, yeah. believe it or not. Yeah, I mean, I've, no, I haven't fucking had a Fucking vinyl version's good for... <laughs> I've heard, it's, yeah. Some people have told me it's good. You but, should, um, yeah, you can go listen to it on a Toby Hatchet sound system, you know, those, um, yeah, down Big Romance or somewhere like that. They, oh, they'll, they'll play yeah. it for you. I've heard it on that one. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it sounds... No, I, I really want to hear it on phenomenal. a good, good uh, uh, set yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. Uh, let's go back to the songs, and um, we're in the home straight now, Ian. So, um... Mary Doran, the name Doran keeps cropping up, I suppose. Maybe you might explain why um, again and again. Um, where's, which part of the world is she from? 
Yes. Mary Dorn was recorded in um, up in Newry in uh, around 1950 mm-hmm. or 1951 by a collector called Peter Kennedy. He was uh, an English collector who was working for the BBC. And there's a actually a great story behind this. There was um, so apparently he was he was um, recording music from he was on a, a campsite recording travellers, and I think there were. Mainly Dorans, I think, maybe some Smiths, I'm not sure, mainly Dor- but anyway, um, he, apparently as the story goes, he was recording the men for most of the night, but then after all the men went to bed, they they went to sleep, and the women stayed up singing, and there's these three women, and they were kind of like competing with each other, and he was like going, well, he hadn't heard them sing all night, and he didn't know, and he was like, this was the best part of it all, when the yeah. women started singing. And uh, this recording I really love. Um, it's a version of a song. Uh, some people call it like the Dying Soldier or the Lock Hospital or like I think St. James Infirmary and all oh, those right, American yeah. ones are versions of it as well. Right, the, the one of Abner Jay does that, that one yeah, version of well, it's, that. It's basically a, a, like about a soldier a dying of syphilis. Right, right, right. And there's so many different versions of it. But this one, uh, you hear a lot about like folklorists talk about... Um, how over the years when songs kind of get passed from person to person they get like whittled down so only the core like emotional part remains so it's kind of like darwinistic element of folklore whereby if a a verse it's kind of just seems like it doesn't belong there or it's a bit boring people will forget about it they only want the real dramatic stuff wow the evolution of um, yeah and i think this version of the song is perfectly demonstrates that because usually the whole story talks about the whole you know what happened with the soldier how he caught syphilis and then the last verse is like his funeral right but this one is it's basically just like three verses and it's all just about his funeral it's just that's what it's like been whittled down to just a very it, condensed the chase has been cut to on this song oh but it's still amazing like when i was in horseback mary doran when i was in horseback wasn't i pretty when i was in horseback wasn't i Well, you bring me 
That's Mary Doran when I was in horseback. Um, yeah, such a uh, full of images and such a deep and rich song there. The words, right? So, I mean, the the great the, singing, great singing, yeah. Um, and she crops up again and again, or you can. There's more of Mary Doran. Is there? Is it? Or is it that just recording that happened that in that way that you said? There's that recording, and I think there's a few more songs were but there it's kind of really hard to find it was put out on a label called folk tracks and then there was i, I think there might have been some like disagreement over who owned the rights to it but it's, yeah it's kind of hard to find yeah i know there's, there's uh copies of it up in the archive in the irish tradition music archive um, and there is a few more songs from mary Doran on it yeah um ian if you were to recommend to listeners a place to start when it comes to those collections um I mean, where where would you go really to, to kind of get a good sense? Well, you could start off, I mean, from home looking at the Irish Traditional Music Archives yeah, website. Which is online, yeah. Yeah, there's the um there's the Inishon Song Project and the, the Goline Song Project as well. And I mean, best of all you could go and visit in person. Mm-hmm. Um there's also the um, the Irish Folklore Collection in UCD. Mm-hmm. There was the Irish Folklore Commission. Yeah, which you, and you can listen to stuff there because that's that's where I got the O'Donnell Girl song. Mm, yeah, that's and, where the whole the Tom Monley connection is connection all there. Is, yeah, there, so you yeah. can get them all there online, right? Yeah. Um, and um, I mean, just in terms of of all of the singers that we've heard there, um, I mean, it's astounding how 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 important this. Uh, these songs from it's, these people is yeah. in, in terms of the overall. I mean, it's 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 great to to be reminded of that, but that's that's what I feel like after listening to four or five in a row. Yeah, I think it's it's really amazing that we're there and we're really lucky that it's you know it, it was captured when it was. And yeah, I kind it, of wish it was a bit more accessible to people or that you know people were more aware of it because mm-hmm. it's like. Well, that's true. I mean, in terms of of it's it, the place it occupies in the overall imagination, it's quite tiny, but like at least it exists because if it didn't exist it quite easily couldn't have existed look what we did to our streets and buildings it's like you know yeah wouldn't have been unusual for for us to destroy yeah. all of that stuff for well that's the thing if it went there were like certain people that you can look at like tom only and, and frank Hart, who actually went out and made an effort to yeah you know kind of capture these things when they were one, th- one thing I meant to ask you before when it was on the pipes before we close because um, this is definitely the home straight but when it comes to sort of the the place that the pipes or the piper occupies within traveller culture I mean that's quite a um, a very yeah. important role right yeah that's another subject altogether that we yeah. didn't look at I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I meant the, the I, sorry, again. I meant to ask you that but yeah so the Dorns that's yeah. they would be the, the, the absolute epitome of that right yeah yeah there was like the, the Dorans and the caches and I mean you were talking about like um you know travellers who would have like kind of had a very definite route around the country mm-hmm. but who were also like you know total obviously in the case of like uh, the Dorans like virtuoso pipe players and I mean, people, people used to flock around mm-hmm. for miles around to go and see them like it had like Willie Clancy talking about like mm-hmm. you know making a big effort to get down to listen to Johnny Doran mm-hmm. and you can hear that in some of his tunes he's really trying to like replicate mm-hmm. what he heard Johnny Doran doing you know yeah which in itself is just you know even that fact alone is mind-blowing of just how important it is to the actual the thing we know as the pure drop is that the yeah it's already it's in there but the so 
just on the on the sound of the uh, in those circumstances. So Johnny Dorn would have been playing in the fifties, right? In, in, in around fair. Uh, yeah, I think the fifties. So yeah. like the 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 amplification thing about like the volume of the pipes that that factor. Is that something that's a thing when it comes to you know there being audible without amplification in in a square or? I think the the kind of pipes it was the development in the pipes that was kind of um, done by the Taylor brothers who moved to Philadelphia and I think they kind of they basically made changes to design the design of their pipes to make them louder for people playing like on yeah. the stage and stuff. Right. You know, before Concert there was like electronic thing. amplification. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> but in terms of like I think with Johnny Dorn maybe came through more in his style of playing you know that it was definitely designed to attract people's attention yeah. it was very like over the top it was totally virtuoso like you know but just yeah. very flashy and would you know yeah. obviously yeah. the kind of thing Bright. Like, yeah yeah you know yeah. it's a uh, you know very, very very different if you listen to like you know say like Tommy Wreck or someone like that yeah, you know, and I think it's the same way with singers as well because you hear about people talking about singers in the past, who you know they were people who were singing on the streets to sell ballad sheets or yeah, something. Right. They would have a very different style of singing than say a group of people sitting at home. Yeah, so sort of the need to be heard or, or sort of the the kind of uh, requirements in terms of being heard would be yeah, a whole I think lot the, different in that environment. Yeah, and I I think that these kind of like outside factors definitely kind of. Uh, changed the evolution of how different things went you know like yeah because yeah i mean now you have loads of people who want to sound like J- johnny doran yeah you know because he, obviously he's, he's amazing like he's a total like shredder yeah on the pipes you know so you have lots of people going yeah i love that but word. that kind of developed from maybe like it could have been like economic concerns rather than artistic yeah, concerns right. do you know what i mean like yeah you scratch a little deeper and you you get to realize that there's yeah that it could be so um yeah. i love that word shredder Shredder, yeah, yeah, absolutely. What do you have to do to be a shredder? You have to be like oh, Willie Clancy yeah. or Johnny Dorn. You have to be a bit of a ninja. A beast, a beast. Ian, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. I just want to bring the conversation back around to um, something, um, it being Lancome. Just actually on that point, so 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 false Lancome in the title of, of the John Riley Jr. song, the word Lancome there refers to what? So Lancome, he's like the the villain of the song. Ah, yeah, false Lancome. Right. He's a he's the bad man. He comes and yeah, basically kills the the baby and kills the, yeah kills the lady yeah in a very bloody fashion. Mm-hmm. But um, if you look, it's interesting if you look at like other versions of the song, not that particular one, but you find out the false Lancome or like Lankin or Lincoln or whatever he's called mm-hmm. it's called different names and different versions but um, he was a mason who built the actual castle that the lord and the lady lived in but oh, yeah. they never paid him for it okay so that's got like a kind of just an unrecurrent of uh, yeah some kind of working class revenge there since you <laughs> sir <laughs> that's all I'll say <laughs> Okay, enough said when it comes to that's perfect. What a perfect name. Um, so, because, you know, I mean, yeah. Um, I, I'm going to close, Ian, with Hunting the Wren. Um, I, I have to say that I heard I heard that you were writing this song from Lisa, who lives not too far from here, Lisa O'Neill. And then I saw it performed first in the Abbey Theatre on that night that, that she hosted. And I'm not the same since. <laughs> 
incredible song and um, maybe you could just I know you, you've explained it in the shows but just before we close you could explain the, the what's behind Hunting the Wren yeah so basically uh, Lisa told me about the, the, kind of this story about these women who were living in the kind of mid 19th century out in the Curra and living in these kind of like just like self-made huts kind of just built out of bits of bushes and rags and whatnot like kind of living outside the Curra and like surviving by prostitution and and they were yeah had a a very hard life and kind of outcast from all the local areas and yeah for whatever reason she thought it would be a good idea for me to write a song about that yeah and kind of they pointed me towards it and I kind of yeah I looked into it and I read it there was like articles written at the time and there was a fella who wrote uh, an article about them for a magazine called the Paul Mall Gazette in 1850 and I think they'd already been out there for uh, you know uh, and you, you found the article yeah it's, you can find it online and mm-hmm. um, you know there's descriptions of them being out there for maybe like between the 1820s and the 1870s but it could be you know it's hard to tell it could be like a bit more yeah. either side of that but um, you know the article is kind of full of these like Victorian kind of ideas with all these like poor fallen women like living out here like this but he kind of describes going out and visiting them and it seems like you know they lived in a very communal fashion and you know there's maybe about 50 of them living there at any one time and they had kids living there that they used to kind of like just share the responsibilities of bringing up the kids and kind of lived in their own way but I thought it was a yeah it was a really fascinating story yeah um, an incredible subject matter and and yeah. just Ian on, on the on the, the songwriting itself last question I promise but there is um, like to, to, for, to, to, to write a song and to get so far into something like that I mean you have form in that regard but like it must have it must have felt like you uh, when you know when that one came together I mean it's a, it's a jewel of a song um, was that kind of a did it bring you somewhere new in terms of your own songwriting process or was that something that you felt that like you'd achieve that level before or was it a where does it rank time was it a bit of a step I, I don't know like I, I kind of uh, I wrote it for that gig and I was like oh, okay you know it, you know always feels weird to for me because you know mainly I would sing traditional songs but mm-hmm. if I write something myself I always feel weird about it but then I think it was like uh, hearing Rady sing it <laughs> Basically, when and I was like, "Well, if Rady's gonna sing it, then right." And then you just listen to her, and you're so okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> well, that's the thing I was talking about, me. hearing about you know? it in the Abbey first time, hearing Rady Pete singing that song in yeah, the Abbey first yeah. time felt like a bit of a history, historical moment or something because it's an absolutely class song. And I know I've heard you describe before about the kind of resistance to writing songs. So, so would it be something that the deadline kind of pushed you towards something? Or that, that is that something that kind of helped you get across the line with that one? Um, like the deadline for the album? Oh no, sorry, the deadline with the Lisa gig. to do. You know yeah. that you had. Yeah, a thing to yeah. Do. Um, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, it was like, um, so she was saying, yeah, like ideally you'd want to have about four songs for this gig that's coming up, and it's in like two or three weeks. But and I had and I had like one or two songs that I'd written, and I was like, fuck it, no, I need to write this other song that mm-hmm. you just told me about, and um. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. There's nothing like having a deadline over your shoulder yeah. to make you just <laughs> yeah come out with something, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it came out pretty. It came out in kind of one go, you know. Sometimes songs just go and it's just out, you know. <laughs> um, Ian, just before we finish, right? So, so I mean, in terms of um, 
we've been talking about a lot of great singers here and we've been listening to um, some amazing examples of singing. Um, being in the company of Rady Pete and being in a group with her, I mean, she's it's outstanding in, in so many different ways. Oh, yeah, she's the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, simple as that. Yeah. Uh, on that, yeah, I think it's a good way to end. She is the best. Um, <laughs> Ian Lynch, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I want to thank yeah, nice um, and you at home. Um, I, I should say that the reason that uh, what spurred me into action um, to invite you to, to do this was your incredible show on DDR um, for a drawn year. Um, it was something that I meant to say um, earlier was um, obviously Dublin Digital Radio, um, you're, you're a great example of some of the incredible shows that are on there. Um, they're doing amazing work in a, in a very uh, important time at yeah. a very important time as in they're kind of going against the grain of everything else from what i can yeah and it's amazing it's like every nearly every show you're looking at like oh yeah i know that person they're mm -hmm. cool they're cool. it's mm -hmm. like all the yeah best people doing absolutely amazing stuff it's like you know we're like properly creative people in our country today are yeah. going to do stuff because you know and a proper public service broadcasting in the sense it's kind of like NTS where you can leave Dublin Digital Radio on all day and yeah. it will provide you know yeah. I mean there's never an hour where you don't go what's yeah. that or, and uh, and it's I think it's a completely necessary thing because otherwise you'd be like well there's stuff people want to hear but it's not where else are you going to hear it mm -hmm. you're not going to hear I mean, it there yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, there's so much saying. going on that, yeah you know, well look, you know. I, look, look let's not, let's not uh, <laughs> leave it there <laughs> yeah leave the other podcast on that bombshell <laughs> we now retire from uh, giving out about um, okay so uh, Hunting the Wren Rady Pete on vocals and Lancome thanks again Ian Sharp is the wind Cold is the rain Harsh is the live-long day Upon the wide open plain By
it gone.